All right, well, you lead it off then, Will. It's already started. <laughs> August 16th, 2023. Another beautiful Wednesday. It was cool this morning. It was a pretty nice day. Yeah. yeah. Warmed up a little bit in the evening, but pretty nice morning, I would say. Yeah. Yep. Actually, won't talk about the van a lot, but driving it around this morning, doing some errands, it wasn't actually a thousand degrees inside of it. Like, I got out and the temperature said 76. I didn't even need the AC working yet or anything. Look at that. Yeah. Yeah. Not bad. So what have y'all been up to? Y'all worked all weekend. Will, you actually drove some shuttle laps this weekend. I did. It was actually kind of fun to get back in the shuttle for a total of like two hours on the weekend. I was surprised. I was like, oh man, Will, like you can cut out on this one. I'll keep running. You're like, I'm good for the afternoon. I was like, okay. I mean, when there's not a lot going on and I want some hours, then I would rather do a job that I know I can do the rest of the afternoon and then be like, oh, there's nothing to do. I'm going to clock out. Yeah, I was looking for busy work to do yeah that happens in the shop sometimes yep yeah y'all kept trying to find trail work to do and then you, this is a standard week in operations right so you i think sunday or, or saturday you're like i think it was sunday you're trying to find trail work to do you're about to go do trail work and then we're like all right we need two trucks now mm -hmm. like right as you're about to go up and do that it's like that's how weekends happen all the time it's good it's good it's good lunch breaks are about to be fine you're you're fine and then you go from two trucks to three or from one truck to two and your whole schedule's messed up now you don't have any support for working on bikes. You're in there by yourself. And you're like, oh, man. Yeah. A massive crowd comes in. Yeah. Well, um, I just want to say real quick, um, thanks to our listeners uh, for coming out and hanging out with us. I, I'm i not at the park on the weekends all that much. So I'm not able to see very many people. But um, there's a guy named Stone who. Stone Marsh? Yeah. He <laughs> uh, recognized my voice. He was like are you the disc golf guy? I was like, yeah, you yeah. listen to the podcast. He's like, yep. So that was cool interaction. So I just want to say thanks to our listeners. For it's that. fun to be out there on the weekend yeah. sometimes, isn't it? It was cool. Y'all don't get to experience it nearly as much as I do. Mm -hmm. I'm always there on the weekends. I'm always running into people. Yep. But yeah. It's weird when you get recognized for your voices. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and Who's for this your guy? disc golf obsession. Yep. Yep. Well, cool. We can roll through a couple updates, and then we do have a special guest once we roll through our quick park updates. We got Stuart Thiel, one of our loyal customers, Rambo supporter, Sorber supporter, here to sit down and talk with us a little bit, too. So don't jump out too early. That's coming up after we do our quick park updates. Just a, like, a quick hour of fan updates. <laughs> <laughs> no, we won't do that. We won't do that. We won't do that. But we will. Quickly, what are the van updates? Um, front flooring's in all that looks good thanks thanks it's okay uh it looks good i did, I did the <laughs> videoing to make sure it looked good but there's some trimming work to be done still but it it went a lot smoother than i thought it was going to be uh flooring for the backs purchase i can't put it in yet because i have to have all the drawer size like pulled back out lined back up water tank came in that's sweet yep. um have a plan around that um I bought a bunch of stuff for getting all the wiring done i just started like laying out the wiring underneath the cabinet and starting to like plan all that out Yep. Um, and I had to order a bunch of new stuff like cables and other things just to finish up wiring. But it's coming along. I got an, an appointment with my secret van helper on Friday. Um, see how far we get with that. But I'm going to try to knock out the fridge slides and the bench so I actually have somewhere to sit on the road trip. Because Drew and I, when we were in Brevard at lunch, I just like sat on the floor 
and ate lunch. And I was like, I could use a bench in here again. Mm-hmm. That'd be nice. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe Chance can actually jump back up in bed too. Yeah. Um, but that's that's basic basic fan updates. Getting there. Getting there. A little bit Good. of a lull. A little bit of a lull, mm-hmm. but that happens. What did we do last week? Oh yeah, coaching. We, we went right there. dagging. Right <laughs> in the middle. That's what I was gonna but, say uh, next, yeah. Uh in park updates, we did some stuff well we talked about it last week and so we were in verbar to get our pmbia certifications but we talked on wednesday after the first day of class yeah we all thought we were going to fail but surprisingly Mm. we all passed somehow look at that speak for yourself man (laughs) (laughs) i never thought i was going to fail i was just speaking for you two oh (laughs) but no yeah that was interesting it was a good class everyone in our class passed brit passed josh me you drew will everyone Mm-hmm. I looked at you while saying Drew and everything too, but everyone passed. Yeah. Learned a lot. Did you learn a lot? I did. Yeah. I think I got better as a writer. I know I got better as a writer too, yeah. which is surprising, but it's also like focused energy. Mm-hmm. Just a little bit of time. The crash count. <laughs> Blair came out on bottom or top, however you want to look at it. With Well, he totaling, won most crashes. Totaling three. Oh, yeah. 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 I still it, got my hand still healing. So I knocked my, <laughs> I dinged up my hand good on Thursday. And then fell again on Friday, knocked that whole scab off and reopened it. <laughs> and then Josh, our coach, was giving me, he's like, you bleeding? I was like, no, like I, I was bleeding from yesterday, and then I just made it start bleeding again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Josh had one, I had one, and Drew came out on top. Oh, yeah. Zero. Winning. Maybe you just weren't trying hard enough. (laughs) Trying to crash? (laughs) Dude, I made direct eye contact with our coach after like my worst crash. And he just like stared at me and I stared at him and then he stared at me and then nothing was said. And I just walked (laughs) off. (laughs) The tension was high. I was like, don't judge me. He was probably like, should I fail this guy? (laughs) But that was exciting. That's good. I mean, we're not ready yet, but soon we'll be having the products listed and start offering some guided tours and beginner lessons and stuff like that at the park. So yeah, that's a nice offering. Yep. Got a wide range of people. I know Josh and Will are considering going back for some airtime lessons as well. So you can give jump lessons and everything. So yeah, we should be on the schedule for October for that, for our level two jumps. So soon enough, we'll have some more intermediate advanced uh, jumping lessons but for now it'll we'll just stick to intermediate beginner coaching touring so yeah which i think for there still provides a large market for for what we can offer right now especially with guided tours for what we have even not being able to do like advanced stuff and everything is yeah still a huge market to be able to provide that which is cool yeah i think it'll be good for us Mm -hmm. yeah so keep an eye on the instagram for that when we're ready we'll have that listed so a uh, quick update on your uh, Suron track y'all are working on this week. How was that? Y'all well, wrapped up today. Park update from the weekend if we're going chronologically. Oh, yeah. Me and Drew did a little bit of prep for our back-to-school jam this Saturday. Come on out. We'll be having a whip-off on the Shuttle Trail step-up, which is freshly revamped. So she look goes. forward to that. Yeah, that's about our only park update from the weekend trail trail-wise. You just did a quick little fix-up of it since it got a little soft, put some carpet down, um, and then cleared out all the trees? Yeah, cleared out all the trees, got some carpet on it. It got forgotten about um, for trail closures while we were up in Brevard, and the lip got a little rutted out. So fixed that up, got some carpet on it. Went and raked that out, and it looks a lot better now. So some nice-to-haves. Yep. And then this week... Drew and I have been down here in Marietta. We're, this is our 
second time now recording out of our usual studio is our second yeah Yeah. second Mm -hmm. we did two weeks in a row count i guess third if you count our Five minutes of ski lift recording in Park City. <laughs> no, probably which, not counting that. Which, yeah, which didn't go well at all. Um, Yelling over the wind and everything. Yeah. So it's a you can add that to our um, semi-professional, professional, professional amateur on-the-go podcast test or uh, track list. We now have a motocross track underneath our belt, which is good. So it was pretty quick. I mean, no major features, like any jumps or anything like that, or I guess a motocross just or moto course or sur on track just requires a little less finishing work or a little bit less finishing work but also i did a lot of the finishing with the skid steer um so like track packing and then back dragging you can mm-hmm. get like a really good finish for moto um so we knocked that out way faster than i thought we would and it's pretty small I, my guesstimation is about a, a quarter of a mile a loop with one like inside cut through what one big table like 25 feet and then some smaller ones some smaller tables a, a ton of rollers and berms so i guess that makes sense so like moto tracks in general they always service with with skid steers and do like in between races with skid steers to kind of like repack them and everything so yeah and it's it's nothing huge it's more of a pit bike track gotcha if you're thinking about like it's no giant motocross track, yeah skinnier so. and everything like that too so. yeah you had a big, a, dig a big old borrow pit. Dug a humongous borrow pit, and we're now jealous because I think we saw in total in our three days of digging and moving dirt two rocks. Yeah, and a whole lot of nice. dirt. Well, it's flatter nice. land now there, right? So it's a where we built it is a hundred year floodplain, and then his house is up on a little bit of a hill. He said that's five hundred year floodplain, so it's low land, um, flat. But mm-hmm. really good dirt down there. A lot of silt, a lot of clay. Yeah. But it'll probably turn into concrete. Yeah. So. Is he going to let you come ride it? Do you have open access to it now? Not open access, Not but he open. said he'll have us out. Nice. Yeah, so he wants to come on out. So he's AJ who owns the concrete company that did the um, the skinnies at Big Creek and the new Skills Kitchen. So really, okay. really nice guy. He's got some, he's got a young Is kid. that where y'all met him is when y'all were doing that? Or did y'all know him already? Um, no, we didn't know him already, but his buddy um, had been out to the park a few times and gave the recommendation. Very nice. Yep. Nice. Yeah. Well, I mean, you're bringing in Big Creek and Rambo and everything, and you were out there when y'all were doing some of that skills stuff in the, that area as well to help with some of that. So it's a good time, I guess, to introduce Stuart. I'm going to hand him my mic. Reporting uh, from our non-standard podcast, Drew and I are going to switch mics back and forth now. We introduced Stuart and did a little pass along. But what's your official title title with Rambo, Stuart? Vice President. So Vice President of Rambo, the Roswell. What's Rambo stand for? Roswell Alpharetta Mountain Bike Organization. Yeah. How long have you been in that position? How long have you been involved with Rambo, and how long have you been in that position? So it's, I kind of count it by. The number of quick six enduros I've helped. <laughs> this will be my third quick six. Okay. So two and a half years in, I guess. What's up, Chance? Okay. So that's, but I mean, have you lived in that area and ridden Big Creek? Obviously a lot longer than that. Yeah. So I moved from Florida to, to Atlanta 2009, moved from Atlanta to Roswell in 2013. 
and then Roswell to Alpharetta. So I've been in the Roswell Alpharetta area since 2013. Been riding Big Creek since 2010, probably. Okay. Yeah. So that's a lot of changing since then. That's probably around when I started riding Big Creek when I graduated college, 2010. The trans yeah. when I was out there, I think it was the Anhill dirt jumps. Yeah, it yeah. was because when I was young, which was after that, when I lived here first, there was the the dirt jumps, the BMX jumps, the original yeah. like dirt jumps and everything. Yeah, those are the ones like right along the road and everything too, right? Uh, so I that's what I, I, I get confused the... on this history here too because there used to be like the Mansell trails, which were some other trails down the Greenway before it was a Greenway, and then we had this. Big Creek Park, which was really like somebody's private like dirt bike trails on city land. And really? Then, but then there were anthill dirt jumps there. So it was like, it was chaos. Hmm. Uh, and then it started to slowly get organized with Rambo when the free ride kind of director took over and started to kind of structure the park and get some legitimate things built. And yeah, there's, uh, there's some history of some, some sketchy stuff out there, but. The OG road gap in the goalie. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that thing is uh, notorious. There's like a, a pretty long history of things getting built and then torn down out there. Like, I mean, I don't know. I feel like that free ride area has always pushed it a little bit and then they get, and then pull it yeah. back a little bit. And then they're like, all right, we're ready to push it again. And, and then. So that's kind of the nature of free ride parks in general, right? Like, especially public ones, too, I guess. Yeah. Well, true free ride like nobody cares about the landowner they just go build rogue stuff yeah. and this was one of the scenarios where that happened and we were lucky enough to be in a situation with the city where we could keep going with that and start to legitimize things and and they they were watching they knew what we were doing and and in the past few years they've really leveled up with what they'll let us build Mm -hmm. And we found the language to present it to them in a way where they know what they're getting. And we do the engineering, we do all the drawings and it's really made the, it's took taken the tension out of the relationship between mountain bike organization and landowner, because we've been able to bridge that gap with the communication Yeah, and it's really helped our relationship and everybody's benefited from that. But free ride in general, like you just go build road stuff and hope you don't get caught. But, um, this scenario, it it worked out, and the landowner's been supportive, uh, especially in the past few years. A wild ride. I think that's interesting, though, because you say, like, the, having the conversation and being more concise on that and managing that better. Because we've talked recently, like, Josh, Will, and Drew and I have talked, is, like, the differences in the organizations, like Rambo, Sorb, like, uh, Sorba Woodstock, Sorba West, and like that, and... And every all of them are different, manage different trails, but y'all are in the middle of Roswell. And y'all have what I consider very valuable land, obviously with like trying to sell it to the tennis courts, whole foundation and stuff like that. So it's like y'all are in a unique spot where y'all have a lot of eyes on you. Like that money, just for the free ride area, could be turned into like a warehouse complex and something like that and make so much money for a business. So it's like So if you if you if you zoom out and I play it on Google Earth all the time, um the free ride area is actually pretty inaccessible from a development standpoint. Is it? It's tucked in behind the elementary school. Yeah. It's, it's half owned by um, Fulton County and it's half owned by city of Roswell parks. Um, and then there's a neighborhood on one side and the greenway on the other. So <clears throat> it's kind of this like perfect storm of not really builder friendly, not really accessible to commercial 
tenants and things like that. And it's leading down to a floodplain. So it's like the perfect recipe for a little elevation and no one's going to come in with a bulldozer, at least in that part. When the tennis center was going to come on, the free ride area was probably going to be left untouched. Okay. Chance agrees. Um, <laughs> it was going to be the, mainly the cross-country trails that were impacted, but there's a ton of rock below Big Creek, and I think what they were budgeting for, like, leveling and tennis centers, I think they were going to be in real financial trouble okay. making that, that property work. Um, but the residents and the riders stepped up and um, convinced them otherwise. And, um, and we managed to keep the trails and then that, that really was a threshold for, um, support for the trails. Since then, our membership's been growing and the city's starting to, or at least the new administration has kind of flipped their perspective on it and they're starting to look at it as an asset. And I think with Rambo's leadership as the liaison between the trail users and the owner, we've been able to kind of coach them on why it's valuable, what the numbers are as far as who's using it and how many trips they get. And I think they get like 200,000 trips a year, some crazy amount. Yeah. yeah they, the city has trail counters out there and the numbers are like absurd. I know a lot of people that do come through Georgia, like from Florida or whatever, that make it a point to go to Big Creek. Yeah. It's, it's, it's become kind of a landing zone, good stopping point between Florida going up to ride North Carolina or go to Tennessee. And now there's a circuit in the metro area, Big Creek, Jared's, you know, Blankets, Pitner, uh, you know, Standing Boy down south. Like there's there's enough fun to come play and you can ride all kinds of bikes you want around here. Yeah. You want to do like a Silver Comet 60 miler on your road bike and then go to Big Creek and do a free ride day. Like, you can do that in like the same day. Mm-hmm. It's, it's pretty pretty cool. Well, you said something interesting. Um, but I'm just wondering uh, now that Roswell was kind of on your side, are they looking to help in any ways, um, funding or resources wise? Or so there was like a that? bond referendum passed recently uh, by the Roswell residents that is going to be a big cash um, injection to the park system in Roswell as a whole. Right. Big Creek has allocated funds. I, I don't know the dollar amount offhand, um, but I think that's going to go into kind of general facility upgrades, bathrooms, parking improvements, lighting, security, things mm-hmm. like that. I don't think any of it's going to be trail-related funds. But but that's still nice. Oh yeah, it's a huge. It, anything we get to the park from the city side is a, is a is a is an improvement. Yeah. Um, if there's an issue, we 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 have a great relationship with the with the parks managers and the parks directors and all of that. So we we're constantly communicating about things going on in the park or things we need in the park. Um, uh, for example, we needed some dirt for the, for the skills area to finish that project up. Um, they brought in some dirt that they had sitting in their, in their yard. Yeah. And there was like no questions asked. And that, that if you would have asked that three years ago, five years ago, no chance. Bureaucracy. Oh, we have to find the funds and, well, blah, it's blah, just, blah, it's a it different lost. perspective on what the park is. Okay. Like the administration just has a, has a different view on it now. Right. And they're supported in that view from the top down. And that's, that's the power of local politics. And I think a lot of riders in the MTB world don't quite realize that you need them on your side. They don't 
you are a taxpayer, sure, and that's taxpayer land, and you could really, you know, push that mantra all you want, but you you need to work with these people. You need to have, you know, constructive relationships and, and transparent relationships where they trust that you're being a good steward on their property, which is taxpayer property. Yeah. So you have to have a relationship that's, you know, um, what's the word I'm looking for here? It has to work. Yeah. You have to talk. You have to communicate. And and with that top-down leadership happening the way it is now, we're, we're communicating better than we ever have, which is awesome. And they're, I'd like to think they're seeing reward from that, right, with increased visitors and hotel stays and food and gas and all of those things that trails provide. You know, the economic power of trails is huge in Sorba and Emba. They can bring data down from the heavens that, that validates that. But, um, you know, Big Creek, like you said, being in an urban area, like they, it, it's benefiting everybody around there. So the urban area, the plus of the greenway right there, which gives everyone access up and down the greenway as well. And then I think to your point too, models, like you have stuff like Bentonville, Baker's Creek over there in like Knoxville and other places that are generating things like that, where you can see the symbiotic relationship between trails and the city and how much revenue it does bring. And when you have that in like other places, it's, I guess, also easier to just show like, Hey, well, this is what Benville's doing. It's very, you know, obviously taking money, but it's also very profitable and beneficial for the city as well. Yeah. Try to try to buy a house in Bentonville right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's been just skyrocketing and everything like that, but it is a unique thing is, yeah, it's, and it, you're just right there in the, and just say like, you know, Altoona park, they're out there in the middle of, middle of nowhere more relatively speaking a lot more suburban than roswell i'm guessing they probably have much different like land conversations and like use conversations than y'all do being in the middle of roswell very public with a greenway with very publicly accessible that goes right by it and just trying to be like i guess more presentable and, and professional for the city instead of just like dirty mountain bikers and that growth of that's kind of helped a lot well it you know the the Sorbo west georgia guys that have folded into mtb atlanta are they all part of one now they, yeah, they, they okay. merged chapters um, last year, year and a half ago. Um, and I think that's benefited them um, big time for their efforts. Uh, NTB Atlanta's got that Bella Solution pump track that's going in out there. Yeah. So when they merged, they were able to kind of go after some bigger donor dollars to, to fund those things. Um, and it's, it's worked out. But they still have to go through all of the channels to get approval from the landowner. Mm-hmm. So they have Which to have the drawings. Corps of Engineers probably out there. It's um, it's a city park okay. or county park, I believe. What are we talking about? Alatuna. Because blankets. So is Alatuna is interesting because part of it is like city owned, and then I think I want to say the land across the road is all privately owned. And I'm, there's a so there's a good chunk of Alatuna that's all privately owned. You mean like the Pitner side? I'm pretty sure the Pintner side, that's what um, Josh said, that the Pintner side is all privately owned. So they have a, a weird land thing going on. It might actually be the other side, part of the other side that's privately owned too, but like they've expanded so much. And put in some track. miles out there for they've sure. They've put in yeah. so many miles of trail. It's but nuts. You, again, you look at the power of these trails, right? You go out there on a summer or you go to a GCA race out there. Yeah. Like the the numbers of people and kids on bikes out there is like mind blowing. They did their first big summer camp out there this year, and I think they had like really 
35 or 40 kids each day show up for summer camp on bikes. Yeah. It's, it's wild. It's wild. But those kind of parks and those kind of relationships between a Rambo type organization or an MTB Atlanta or Sorba Woodstock, when they're productive with their landowners, you can have those. Yeah. And that's why I think there's a struggle with some of our users to understand how much work that actually takes mm-hmm. and why putting in that work is so important and doing it the right way. Yeah. Because if you try to go around it, you're just putting the rest of the trail network at risk. Yeah. So it's like put in the work. You can do it. You can get someone to do the drawings. You can get someone to do the, in- the engineering. You can raise the money. Um, and then you can actually have it legit and protected and transparent and everyone knows what's happening. So it's there to last. It seems like you guys have been especially productive in that, not necessarily compared to the other parks, but almost more so than them in the last couple of years with the Hollywood project, because I know that was a huge chunk of change and multi years of planning um, coming from or going from what was just rogue trails into something where you can really work with the city and go through that. So we did, Hawkeye was built before I was part of the board, but I was there, really started riding there after that was done uh, kind of consistently. So to go from Hawkeye to Hollywood is really when the process changed on Mm -hmm. how we worked with the city and what they wanted to see to understand what we were asking for. And we weren't making a financial ask to the city. We were saying, can we do this to your land? Right. And so you got to go through the process, show them the site plan of what the, what the trail is going to do, how it's going to be cut. And we were looking at forestry service drawings for trail construction and drainage and all of that erosion control, engineered drawings for the road gap feature. I'm an architect by trade. So I was able to draw those in a language that the city knew so they could permit them and review them and, and approve them. And I think that threshold is where a lot of other trail networks, they struggle to make that transition. Yeah. Uh, I'm not the only, you know, designer that rides bikes. So there's others out there that'll help produce drawings to make that, that language presentable to the cities. Uh, and that's why you see a lot of trails are like, no wood features. We don't want them right. because technically it's a structure. Right. So, yeah. So an engineer needs to own the engineering on that structure. Yeah. You want to build with dirt. They're much more forgiving and understanding. But as soon as you try to put concrete in the ground or build a deck that you can jump a bike off of, uh, they want to see drawings. Right. Um, do you think you could maybe do like some kind of workshop to help people that may be designers and mountain bikers to maybe do this for their own? Trail networks. Interesting. I've never been asked that question. I mean, concept. it sounds like you know what you're doing and how to do it. It'd be cool to like spread that knowledge if you're into that. So there was at the Sorba Summit this past summer in Old Fort. They had a class there on bridge building for trails, uh, and they actually built a bridge. I forget which trail network they built it on, uh, but they hauled in the lumber. They looked at all the construction detailing and put it together. Uh, so it's interesting to, if you're, if you're talking about a bridge, that's one thing. If you're talking about a bridge that you jump, that's another, right? And that takes a different kind of skill set, I think, to put together, put it on paper. Are they judging that differently because of the forces going into it? It's, 
or just because of the risk involved with it's all the above feature? right there's building codes there's like deck building codes that are separate from commercial building codes mm-hmm. uh you know kind of lateral forces foundational forces uplift for- forces if you're in a freeze area mm-hmm. right you got to bury the footing so they don't pop out of the ground when it gets cold so it's all of those things but also being a surface that humans are going to be riding on right like a greenway is a surface that humans ride on that's an engineered structure mm-hmm. the road gap at big creek was a similar process yeah right? they want an engineer to say yeah this thing's not going to fall over with somebody standing on it that's um i think drew was asking that question because it's interesting this is all new conversation for us and just in the fact that we've talked about it we don't have to do any of that now that we shouldn't do and we've talked about coming out and have load bearing approvals yeah. and stuff like that done on our bridging and everything like that but just in terms of the entire conversation you have to have with landowners and approvals and stuff like that the, the beauty of owning your land and not having to answer to that nearly as much now that we shouldn't still follow some of those processes and the standards etc but it's all like new conversation for us that we do not deal with when we build a trail at all well that's what makes the rambo component in most trails honestly more challenging is because we have a landowner that we're trying to protect so if we can build it and for the riders and they would ride it and be fine but there's another tier of responsibility that we're supposed to be facilitating protecting them as well. Because they're letting us work on their land under the assumption that we're doing that in good faith to protect them. Yeah. So it's it's making sure all of those check boxes are done. I mean, it, it makes sense, and it, it, but it is, yeah, it's one of those things you just have to assume you have to do when you start working with, especially grant land, like where it's just like provided to you free of cost and everything like that as well. Like, a lot more restrictions and things you have to pay attention to for sure yeah it will, another project for example to that is the new um uh down there at the quarry park west side park that mtb atlanta is working on they they're trying to put in about 2.5 miles of trail attached to that. yeah attached to a new pump track and kind of skills area and everything and the tree ordinances in the city of atlanta are pretty strict Mm -hmm. So it's not like you can just go cut root zones and dig up a bunch of dirt and build a trail, right? So they're basically going to have to build this trail over the roots and protect the roots. Yeah. So it's going to be a lot like a city park like that. Exactly. Exactly. So that's a, that's an expensive undertaking because you're not just moving dirt at that point. You're, you're putting engineering a a trail money to do it hundred percent correctly like that. Yeah. All the dirt's getting brought in for or putting on top of stuff. You can't even do that in most cases. A lot of places don't want you don't want you bringing in non-native soils to an area and stacking up dirt on stuff. So it, I'm like, that's so many hoops. Yeah, it it gets really complex, and some jurisdictions are even more stringent than others. And and every trail that goes in, you have to know who your audience is and understand what those processes are, what those codes are, what they're what they're expecting. And if you're not willing to put in the time to work their way you're, you're just going to be fighting the system the whole way well you're just gonna be putting in more time right like you're gonna be fighting or you're just gonna be just, wasting your yeah time. and not getting yeah. anything out of it or you're gonna get so frustrated that you're just gonna throw your hands up in the air and that's where you need to bring in people that know these processes uh trail builders or trail organizations um that have done this before and they can kind of thread those needles and they know how to work through the system to make that happen 
is that something from your job you were familiar with already or was it a learning process when you jumped in to start doing Rambo stuff? Well, I deal with permitting every day. That's in my fair. Job. Yeah. yeah. So you're, it's the processing wise you're familiar with. It was just, yeah, I, I've designed a bunch of houses all over the Southeast and especially around Atlanta. And one of them took nine months to get a permit for a house. So yeah. I'm used to that frustration. Yeah. Most clients and, and other trail users have no idea that it, it is such a burden to get through that process. And, and the, to go for full circles on this, the Hollywood project, we, we planned internally for probably eight months. It was a few months in, in approvals and, you know, park commission meetings and presenting them um, to get approval for the trail build. And then there's the approvals for the sponsorships that are funding the trail build. Those are separate mm. approvals. Because they don't really want, even, and you can't even get those until you actually have approval for the trail. Like you can talk about it, but they're not going to finalize them until exactly. you get approval for the trail. Exactly, and they they want to make sure that the entity that is funding the build is within the city standards of what businesses they want to associate with. Huh. So you're like chasing your tail on that one because you don't have anything. to I give guess them you can unless. you can do a little bit of of background on that beforehand, making sure that where the money's coming from is going to be well i think you it's can pretty make a good guesstimation on that that's going to be approved kind of anybody with a with a moral compass would know what businesses to stay away from right. to go gain funding from yeah um so but with us it was really easy we had maxis rei we had some big names coming yeah. in that are international businesses um and maxis is georgia based and rei has a huge footing here too so the, Roswell was ecstatic to have that level of business touching down on their city park. Right. We had some other local businesses and, and other things contributing and they were all good with that, but it's not like we went to a pharma or a tobacco or another more morally yeah. compromised industry to get money from yeah. to build this. Which I guess you could look at as like the easy way, just like go to all the businesses with the most money, but, taking the time to get the funding from actual good businesses that you personally want to be associated with is the right thing to do, but may take a little bit more. And that association, time. that association has to work both ways, right? Yeah. It, it, we, at least personally, I try to right. make sure that it's not a company that I don't, once we get the money and we build the trail, I don't want that relationship to stop there. We want to be giving right. them the recognition they deserve so making sure it's going back to them we invite them to all of our events you know most of our sponsors are going to be at the quick six again this year maxis rei all those guys so that relationship is continuous it's not mm -hmm. just a one and done right it's a lot to manage a, a public park yeah yeah it is it is but y'all in rambo y'all have multiple you say big creek takes up most of y'all's time so we've got Five parks. You um, go all the way up almost to coming and those, don't you? Charleston Park, Hall yep. Creek, Matt Park, Mount Adams, which is a little loop off the Greenway, and then Big Creek. Mm -hmm. And we are looking at two other properties right now, one up north and one um, west of Alpharetta that if we can manage to turn those trails our way would add a lot of mileage to our portfolio. Yeah, so out of those, those are all pretty populated trails. Charleston Park's pretty fun. It's right by my mom's house. I used to ride it a lot when I was living in her basement like a bum. 
Um, Have you been up there since the storm? No, they always get wrecked by they storm. Got hammered. So it's Corps of Engineer land, um, and my mom lives on the Corps of Engineer property. One, those trees have been there forever. Two, when you get close to the shoreline, all the dirt's just soft as hell, and those trees will just like fall over when you have high winds. But it 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 looked like they almost took like a microburst or a mini tornado touch down there because like the it. entrance to the park was like really it exploded gets, trees. It's really it's also really open to wind because it's on the lake and everything. Yeah, yeah, and once the trees start going, then it exposes all the other ones, and they've had that blockade of other trees, so their roots aren't that great. And then you lose a set of those trees, and all of a sudden those other ones go down. But that park. It's interesting to took to look at the difference between how we manage a Rambo Big Creek versus a Rambo Charleston Park. Separate landowner, completely mm-hmm. different internal processes, approvals and trail work is a completely different workflow. Like we don't bring in any heavy heavy equipment out there. That's all county facilitated. So we help organize what needs to be done and locate it for them and put up a game plan and help with any reroutes, but they do the work for, for the okay. big stuff. So we can go out there and do some handwork and reroutes, but anything more than that, the, the county has to step in and do it. They don't want us doing it out there. So then you get even more complicated because now it's not this that you have to deal with government and other like entities. It's each one's different based off of where they are and what the park is. So and then- that can change if, let's say, the park's director one year works one way, he moves on, he or she moves on to another position. You get a new parks director they can completely flip the script on you and change the process or exclude you from the process or invite you into the process. Finally, like that, that single person in that spot can have such a critical impact on the relationships of the trails. Yeah. Out of curiosity, when you say the County is doing the work, does that mean the County is facilitating hiring someone or do they have, they have a threshold of work they'll do internally. Mm Mm-hmm. Like all the the tree damage at Hall Creek or Charleston, they are they are hiring out for that level of work because it's above what they want their staff to do. Okay, so they'll get proposals and and actually use county funds to pay for that yeah that service. Well, we've had representatives from Rambo out there facilitating, mm-hmm. uh, but it's been county work, and especially on the lake. Yeah. Like it's it's a different risk from an erosion control perspective, right? Yeah, completely different. They don't want you just out there bench cutting, you know, three miles a new trail. Yeah. Right, and putting all this dirt downstream. It's, it, you've got to navigate that a lot more carefully. Yeah. Corps of Engineers very precise. That's one of the ones, and it's outside of yours, but Silver Woodstock, which is out to, or, um, which is would be like blankets and rope mill, they deal with core a lot. Because, like, you'll talk to some of the leads. They're always like, well, we got to get approval from core to do any new trail changes or any new trails and stuff, which, is true. Half the time, they probably just use that as an excuse because they don't want to do something when you're giving them ideas. But they do say it's a, a lot of approval information from core comes. But you you have to have that transparent relationship, yeah. and it is their land. Yeah, and yeah. I think mountain bikers we 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 tend to want to own it mm-hmm. because we use it, but we also have to be respectful to who the actual owner is as a group, as a body of users. Yeah. We have to respect that ownership and give them the transparency and approvals they want. Otherwise, because any trail network, I don't care if you've got an MOU in place or anything, if you rub the landowner the wrong way, they can shut it down in a heartbeat. And that's why these chapters, whether it's a Sorba chapter or a, you know, a Vermont chapter or a um, 
you know, the chapters up in Evergreen or anything out in Pacific Northwest, those organizations are constantly walking that tightrope to protect the access to the trails and protect the owner. So you need that middleman to, ne- to negotiate that. And it's a constant negotiation. It, it, it's always on, you know, a knife's edge. And I think part of that is also the riders respecting where they're riding and, and knowing their audience as well, too, is like differences between, say, like Soap Creek and Blankets Creek. Soap Creek is hiker's priority, right? It's a hiker's priority type of trail network. There's a lot of hikers, trail runners, everything like that. So like you always yield to hikers where Blankets Creek was developed as a mountain biking type focused park and it's hikers yield to bikers. But it's like being aware of that. Like when you're at Soap Creek, if you piss off enough hikers and they go complain to their people, that's starting a storm. And like they share the trails just as much as riders do, if not more, because they have right away, yeah. which will get you in trouble and get people complaining about mountain bikers on the trail system more so than blankets where it's bikers first and everything like that. Yeah, Each user wants to think it's their trail. Yes. And they have the priority. But in reality you have a shared use trail you need to respect each other and be safe and and and, res- and respect and protect their access to the same trail mm-hmm. it's it's not one more than the other right and that trail safety and that trail etiquette is is critical to to protecting the access like i said if you get a if enough conflict rises up between multiple trail users and they keep going to the officials about it they'll just shut it down they'll be like you got it's too it's too complicated it's too heated we we can't get the systems to work with the with the shared use so they'll just squash it soap's an interesting one though because soap is national park and it i to my knowledge i don't think it's run by any sorba or rambo or it, mountain bike mtb atlanta looks over soap they do yeah okay yeah and yeah. and again that relationship with and mtb atlanta has, has done a really good job of getting in front of these multiple administrations from city, town, county, state, whatever, they've been able to get their foot in the door and be in the conversations yeah. to, to have access to those trails and have representation as a mountain biking advocate in those conversations. That's the whole reason you're seeing what you're seeing at Westside Park yeah. and all of that is because they've put in the work to get in the conversation with the officials and build those relationships. And that has taken years, if not decades. Yeah, for sure. I was wondering um, if there's any, like, thing or rule or process that the riders should probably be aware of as far as maybe, like, the community that Rambo is trying to build. Is there something that riders you you're referring doing? to like rogue trail building or just uh, trail culture just in, in general? general? Like, is there something that we could be better about or um, not necessarily rogue trail building? Cause I know that's kind of wrong, but iffy, but <laughs> <laughs> kind of wrong. <laughs> iffy, but fun. Yeah. Iffy, um, but fun. Is there just something like you want to tell so, riders be more aware about? I think leave no trace is like you would on a backpacking trip. You're not going to hike out to the bluff camp for two nights and then leave all your trash out there. And, and at a lot of mountain bike trails, they'll just see debris. People just don't see it the same way. 
and I would love to see a culture shift there where they start to just yeah help out the trails, protect them, keep them clean. Um, you know, communicate with your trail organizations if there's an if there's an erosion issue, if there's a tree down, if there's a safety issue, speak up, mm-hmm. right? Say something. I know the uh, Facebook group is good about talking about trees down and stuff like that. Yeah, a lot of chapters or a lot of trail organizations that I follow, they're they're moving to more of a kind of trail forks, Strava mapping where you take a screenshot of an issue, it gives you a location, and you send it to the organization. And that really helps us locate it. We get a picture of what it is, so then we know how to respond. Like we don't want to bring a handsaw out to a twenty four inch oak that's laying two feet above the ground on the trail, right? So that kind of communication from the users upward is is super helpful. But at Big Creek, for example, we have where the shipping container is, we have that kind of hangout spot. That is probably the best investment that Rambo ever did because it created a home base for everyone using the park. And they socialize, they talk, they hang out, bring in lunch, and then they do their, their sessions from there. But everyone comes back to there and kind of has a chat with, their their friends or the riders when we do the night ride base there every year like that's like 50 60 people hanging out at those tables those little social nodes um have really kind of exploded and helped the culture become um consolidated more um social so they it it, it kind of made the park bigger than just the one rider out there on the road dirt jumps right it kind of gave them a, a sense of community in that little that little spot. Now I don't know if that answers your question, but did did y'all um, learn that from somewhere or like from a user group, or is it just something you discovered? Because there's been a lot of conversation in trail development groups about that recently. I think it just people wanted to sit down. So <laughs> the conversation, the bigger conversation that people have been having in like trail development groups, like Benville's been a big push for this for a lot of like the castle thing they built recently is moving from i forget what it's called but it's basically like an expansion loop where like the first loop's green and then from that you expand out to a blue and then from that you expand out to a black and the farther out you get the harder it gets to like a hub and spoke type of setup where there's one climb everyone whether you're riding greens blues or blacks can climb together right Right. you go up there and then there's a central spot and there's four trails that you can go out so you can hang out with everyone no matter what their riding skills in you can climb with everyone that same social aspect like you're talking about. But then when you get up there, you can go do the black, he can go do the blue, and someone else can do the green, and you still meet at the bottom-ish area and can pedal again and stuff. You know, as a, as a designer for as a career, what you're talking about is trail design, mm-hmm. right? It's somebody zoomed out, looking at the bigger picture and stitching together these concepts and looking at what the land is offering you from a palette yeah. perspective. Right? Well, it used to be that their thought was build those blacks farther out because people are going to ride blacks or okay riding farther as well. That kind of like mentality thing is like rider's perspective on it as well. Yeah. But I also think the land is going to give you a force a, that a little bit. Yeah. 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 And I think a good trail designer or a good trail organization is going to, like I said, zoom out and then, kind of get those basis points that the land is telling you and kind of feed off of that mm-hmm. palette or that kind of initial infrastructure and, and emphasize it, enhance it. Um, but there's also, if you follow professional trail builders, each of them have a signature, right, in how they build. And you guys out of Jared's, I think you guys have 
starting to to hone in on your signature and, and what you're what you're passionate about, what you're good at, uh, and kind of set your riding style based on your trail builds. If you look at like a McGill or uh, Nature Trails or or any of the ones that kind of work around the southeast, if you put up a picture of each of them next to each other, you if you follow it enough, you could probably yeah. pinpoint who the builder was, right? Yeah. Right. And and even the guys like um Innovative Dirt Solutions who built Hawkeye and Hollywood for us, they have a style. Mm-hmm. Ethan Quayle is like he's got his, you know, the bucket is his scalpel or his paintbrush. And you he's got a flavor to the trails he builds yep. as well. So when you look at a blank canvas for new trails or or changing a trail, the builder you hire is gonna kind of influence that result yeah so i think we've gotten it's this is a bigger conversation too because you can talk about Mm -hmm. when you're shopping for a trail builder as an organization or a landowner you can kind of interview the different styles of trail that you want to build and you can ask those type builders to come and do proposals for you yeah and then ultimately who you hire you're starting to know kind of what you're going to get yeah and I think even if you can't see specifically who built the trail, you once a lot of times you can ride it and feel it sometimes too. You're like, oh, that feels like that'll dirt people like that. You can feel like their jumps and their styles when the guy comes down to riding as well. Yeah. It, the authorship it. of the trail builder is like 10 years ago, 15 years ago. I don't know if that concept even would have been a thing. Yeah. But now. The, yeah. The, but now you've got, you've got lots of options to choose from and there's, they now have a lot of, stuff out there so you can kind of get a feel for it for the bigger ones especially i think that was just a bigger if if spaces allow there is a big push for those social hubs that you're talking about like but which, going going back to your point of the those two different styles yeah. big creek actually has both of those mm-hmm. really yeah. because cross country got, seems to be a little the bit cross more. country is the green blue black mm-hmm. and then the free ride is that hub and spoke yeah but if you even if and you go out to great if you go out to blankets and, and just go to where the flag is with a bench. Yeah. Right. That's all it is. It's a yep. flagpole and a bench, but that created a pocket. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. And Especially then, on the backside. Exactly. You got to the back. Let's take a break. Exactly. Let's group up. And I think sprinkling in those moments on a trail is what helps to kind of weld that community of users together and give them a point to kind of touch down together and, yeah. and you know, become a community. Which really, I mean, even for us, it circles back to another point you made earlier, which is like, half the time money you spend isn't even directly on trail building stuff. It's just creating an experience for customers and everything like that, or your, your people. Like we've spent time and money building benches, building stuff like that, which isn't trail building stuff, but our customers freak out about little things like that. Uh, and just like building up that like side things that makes the trails that much more fit. Like it's all fun. part of the experience. Yeah. Building right. the experience and everything, which isn't always just trail building and at all. Right. Or even the, the park tool stands that you guys have sprinkled in, like yeah. those little things have a, if you look at the aggregate of doing that across the park, that is such a big enhancement to the experience of the users, right? That adds value to justifying why they pay to go ride those things. Cause you put in the, you put in the time, you thought about the users and their experience, having what they need at each of these nodes to make their day more enjoyable, more pleasant, and just a, you know, a better value. Mm-hmm. I think the benches and the kiosk area, people started to bring out coolers and stuff and have extended hangouts and they're more comfortable out there. So that stuff does. It's amazing. We're talking customers. about the power of a bench. 
<laughs> in a podcast. It's a, I mean, it's a real power. Not, I mean, the bench is a analogy to it all, but having like, half of your experience is off of the bike most of the time. I mean, you can go out, like Big Creek would be amazing without that hangout spot, but it enables you to want to spend more time out there because you know you you can bring your food out there. You've got a place to sit and hang out. Like, oh, I'll just take a lunch break here and then keep riding for another couple hours. Right. Rather than, oh, I'm going to get a couple laps in and then I'm going to go get some fast food and then, oh, I don't really feel like coming back. The one thing at Big Creek, and I, and I hope this is not special by any means, but we've got a great group of Eagle Scouts that'll come out there to do Eagle Scout projects. Mm -hmm. They'll build a bridge, they'll build a park tool stand, some picnic tables. We'll kind of stitch a few things together to make it a legitimate project for them. Uh, or they'll do the, the picnic areas or a kiosk. Like that's another part of folding in that community where they, they become um, contributors to the success and longevity of that place. Yep. So that, again, whether it's a bench or not, it's the aggregate of all of those little contributions that make that that trail culture kind of welded together and successful. It's also funny because little things like benches is it it is such a small thing, but we've noticed when we we constantly sprinkle in. We don't do all of our projects at once, just from timing, money, everything. But we sprinkle those things in, and it's nothing special. But people will freak out about the benches. Like they'll come up and be like, oh, "I saw y'all put benches over there. It's so awesome! Like it's so nice to have that." And it's like it literally, it's just a bench. But people will just get stoked on little things like that and get so excited on it. If you can make the bench where they can ride on it and off of it, then it's even better. <laughs> and riding with it too, yeah. Yeah. It is crazy, though. Well, Charlie, he, he made it a point to ride our, our log bike racks. That sounds legit. Right yeah. outside of our shop. He, he got it. The three separate bike rack logs. He rode, hopped up on one. You Put know it. Charlie's getting bored at your park when yeah. he's riding the bike racks. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Some people just like jibbing. I've oh, like uh, yeah. I take Igor out to Big Creek and yeah, he's been riding there for a long time, but he's more interested in finding the dead trees on the ground and riding those than the actual trails. He is like the notorious treasure hunter on any trail. He will he go is. find the most random thing to spend time on mm -hmm. that's not a trail. Yeah. <laughs> Probably especially, like you said, especially something like Big Creek where he's been riding there forever. I mean, it's not that he doesn't, like, enjoy the trails. He still loves the trails, but he's just like, I've spent hours just riding logs at Big Creek with Igor. Yeah, I believe and it. And it's still fun as hell. But again, like, it's such a simple feature that can be added to a trail network that can provide entertainment fun, pleasure, joy, whatever you want to call it to the users yeah. for very little expense or work to make that happen. I know a spot for a six skinny. There's a, a huge log uh, that has been down forever, but it's at the end of the shuttle trail uh, trail. It's right past the last berm. And you really only see it if you're looking back up trail, but there's like a huge oak tree that we could put a skinny above. It, it would go to nowhere, but it would be sick. Bridge to nowhere? Yes. Oh, the one on that, that inside of that berm? Yeah. That, yeah okay. I know yeah. what you're talking about. Yeah. yeah, that one would be a good one. Well, rest up, Igor, and heal up. <laughs> I don't think Igor's, I think Igor's been injured since the, the Skills Kitchen's been open, but I think you'll enjoy that. 
have some some jib lines. Yeah, I've been chatting with him while we rebuilt Typhoon. Yeah. Um, we've got our buddies in the in the in the users, and Igor's one of them. Um, and we're working on something. We try to reach out to those guys and be like, "Hey, what would you do here? Yeah. What would you want to see here?" And get their feedback because as the liaison for the trails, we may have super conservative look on that. Mm-hmm. And if you talk to your riders, they're like, "No, go full send." Let's do it this way. So yeah. we, we try to find that balance, give the people what they want, but do it in a way that keeps the trail safe and minimize the risk, but keep it fun and yeah. keep it progressive. Yeah. I think y'all also do a good job of not just focusing on riders like us. Like the last section was built up for very beginner riders, like the concrete stuff you put in the kind of those skinny lines. It's a very beginner's intro to what, and the pump track as well. But like, very beginner's introduction type of stuff as well. You're not just focusing just on the hardcore rider. Like you got to make sure you're it's it's not even the- that it's it's just built for beginners because experts. There's a lot of lines to play with there. Mm-hmm. It's the way it was built safely. Yeah, to where it is inviting for all. That all was riders. really design intent. That the Rambo board and we 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 have this free ride area right, which is this different type of riding. We have the cross country, which is a different type of riding. And, and those trail users typically are different cultures amongst mm. themselves, right? Very different um, cultures. And we've put a lot of machine time in, in the free ride area that the cross country trails are pretty well established and they almost maintain themselves. But there was that other notch of users that we weren't really taking care of. We had the pump tracks and that was great, but we weren't giving them something to progress on in a venue that they felt safe and they could play. And that's what the skills kitchen was. It was like, let's give them the rollers that have a little bit of downhill slope. They can get a little speed and kind of feel the berms and the rollers. And I put a jump in at the bottom of it. That was intentionally to be like the kid's first time getting air under his tires. Right. It was, it was specifically for that. The skinnies were designed flush to the ground so that you felt like you were riding on a skinny and you could play without the risk of blowing up your derailleur. Right, but then we also sprinkled in the more advanced rock line and then the the, the jump line there, so you kind of get to scratch all those itches in the same venue, yeah. in a controlled. Right, you're not 20 miles out on some backcountry trail trying to learn how to jump. Right, you're doing it 50 feet from your car, 100 yeah. yards from a bathroom. Your parents can be sitting at the picnic tables watching you ride, and it's a very kind of controlled atmosphere to just go play bikes. I know my buddy Tyler Nuttall is very stoked on the improvements to the park. He has a six or seven year old daughter, Nadine, and she was actually featured in the newspaper. I don't know if you saw that. But she was out on the grand opening with yep. the GoPro facing her. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was watching she her was ride. She was having track, a good time. So, yeah. There's a lot of, a lot of progression to be had at that park. now. But, awesome and that's, again, it's the aggregate of those moments and those little builds that stitches the community together. Right? I don't know if Tyler's daughter would have come out to the trails without that piece of the puzzle there. Right. So you're introducing a whole nother generation to our sport in a fun, safe and inviting. Which is, it's interesting because you're investing money in a future community of the sport, right? Like knowing that you want kids and other people that are in the sport and aren't your core people right now. They aren't the people riding three, four days a week, but you're investing in 
a different crowd and putting efforts towards making sure it's accessible for everybody, whether you're a cross-country rider, a very beginner rider that just pedaled down the greenway and wants to try to figure out some skills or like an advanced free rider. You got that whole range, but focusing on not just one, one aspect of the community and like the whole community, which is but, important. And it's interesting that you say that because even the guys that come and ride and gals that come and ride the cross-country trails multiple times a week, that little skills loop that we've added, they'll do their five mile loop, come in there for three or four laps and get back on the trail and they're smiling. They're oh, loving yeah. it, right? It's just a little kind of candy stash on the trail that you can just go play on yeah. and then keep on with your ride. The OG like kitty pump track was like that for me. The straight oval one, like not complicated at all. I'd go hit the free ride park until I was like dead basically. Slow pedal back to that area, go run laps on the pump track and then head out. But like, the work you'd get on just that little kitty pump track was awesome, but it was a different workout. Yeah. You finish yeah. one, you go on, you're like, all right, let's get some like actual dedicated skills in and then head out or whatever. Yeah, every weekend out there, there's some family or the age group, the age spread of riders on those pump tracks is mind blowing. Like you'll yeah. have like a kid on a strider with a Mohawk helmet on, right? Just like pushing around and his dad, you, you can tell used to ride motos behind him, like cheering him on. And then the daughter's on the other one with the mom. They're doing loops. And then you'll see, like, dad with his teenager come through, right, do some laps. And then you'll see a guy on a hardtail XE who's, like, 50-something. In spandex. Do, and, yeah. yeah. Full Lycra kit. Dropper still up. Yep. And come and do some laps and then get back on the trail. So, like, you're hitting such a wide pool of users in such a small investment. Pretty crazy. Yeah. Well, I mean, Jared's place, uh, shameless self-plug. It seems like a great time. You have the skills kitchen now where we should go out there and do a intro to biking or intro to bike park type of uh, guided class since we're all certified now for some young rippers out there in the Let's skills kitchen. It. And also we what can touch. What kind of uh, bureaucracy hoops we got to jump Oh, that's a whole nother podcast. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> but then it also brings because it touches back another good thing. If you we were to do something like a free like you know intro to mountain biking class in the skills kitchen is something I think we don't do the best job now as the sports grown significantly is the um, trail stewardship. So like teaching those kids no trail left behind or yeah no uh, no. Leave, leave no, no trace, <laughs> like you know, putting those things out. I like the no trail left behind. But, uh, but, uh, don't should... leave any trails behind either. But no trace Up left to behind. Interpretation, whatever that but, means for you. But we've talked about it before as the sport, which has grown significantly in the past, like four to five years, and it's just blown up with access and everything. There's been a lot less like trail stewardship. And when I learned to mountain bike, someone took me to new places. Like right, someone was guiding me on best practices. Like don't leave that there. Like don't go off trail stuff like that like there's always someone there with you where now you can pull up trail forks find a trail go ride it by yourself and destroy it ride it wet right and no one's told you oh you shouldn't ride it it's wet like, yeah. nobody saw it so it didn't yeah. happen yeah but but like there's just like so as it's blown up there hasn't been as much of an effort into growing trail users knowledge on respecting the trails and everything so you know you can get a college degree now in trail building i, I believe that yeah. really you can where Oh, uh, we were just, uh, it's up in North Carolina. We just hosted our our summit there. Uh, hold that thought. I will get it to you. It's a technical college near um, near Old Fort. Oh, that I may, probably looked at it. Makes yeah, sense. Old Fort's a very big, like, skills-based area, very much. Like, um, well, It's a huge part of the North Carolina economy, mm -hmm. the trail access. So, yeah, but you can, 
You can go get a degree. I'm going to have to go building. back to college. You already got a master's. You earned it. The hard way. <laughs> well, the cheap way, I should say. <laughs> but yeah, it's the opportunities like that is a great opportunity to teach kids new skills, get them comfortable in the, sk- like the skills kitchen, and then also teach them about trail etiquette and stuff like that. Yeah. But you got to be there to learn it. And that's, yeah. you got to have the trail for that to happen. And that's, yep. what, that's why we're here as an organization is to protect that access. Yep. So random, random question and give you a scenario. You tell me what you would do. So say you've got um, some, a big piece of land with multiple owners, an established mountain biking loop and a ton of rogue trail building. How would you, as someone in a, an organization go about handling something like that if you wanted to get it legitimized? All illegitimate trail or some legitimate? What's the... You have one legitimate mountain biking loop and then a bunch of rogue trails. I think you probably know what I'm talking Sounds about. Sounds a lot like Mine Pountain. Yeah, yeah, Mine Pountain. It's each landowner is going to be a different discussion in a different strategy on how to process that access and how to make it become more legitimate. Yeah. Well, that, so we make it tough. So if that landowner was like, you have open access to do whatever you want to legitimize this, but we have to cut all these issues such as like rogue trails and everything like that. So if you had op- like um, open rights, to do whatever you wanted to make that a public trail system and get it under control. Is there like standard process you would follow to reduce like rogue trail building? That's really- a trail culture challenge yeah. in it, that it, oh, location. Yeah. Because yeah. even if you try to come down with a heavy handed top down, they're going to drop the hammer on it, it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to work. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Right. But could you see a, a way to get it to where that could be legitimized? Or is that a really, a really tough one? It happens all the time. Yeah. I mean, most mountain bike trails, I would think, are kind of grassroots. Yep. They're, they're there already. The landowner knows they're there, kind of, but they don't really care or don't want to know. Yeah. Right? Um, but again, you're walking that tightrope, you know, and if there is a major injury or something, then there's going to be the problem. So you're just... But then also bringing it up when they are kind of knowing about it, but also kind of just ignore it. Bringing it up brings up a whole nother set of, but once you brought it up, you brought it to the front, now it has to be addressed. But they have to be willing to bring you into the fold. Yeah. But you have to present yourself in a way that validates your skill set to even be at the table with them. Yeah. And I think you can do that as a group of friends and go to an owner and you can present that. I mean, that's how most chapters start. Mm-hmm. Right. So it, I don't want to deter that kind of grassroots, make it happen. Um, but it does help to come in with an organization backing you with, yeah. a, with a yeah, good yeah. amount of members and a, and a track record of good trail stewardship understanding of trail design, fundraising, management of funds. Yep. Uh, and you present that case to the owner and you say, hey, we want to help you with these trails. Mm-hmm. And in the end, our, our, our goals are to have sustainable trails, safe trails, accessible trails. Because um, sometimes the trail owners don't even really care about an economic in- impact. They may not even want that. They may yeah. want to keep away from that, right? They don't want the growth. They don't want the, the traffic. Yep. Um, Because that echoes into a whole bunch of other add-ons that you need: parking and bathrooms and streetlights and whatever else. Mm -hmm. Right. So 
the economics may not even be a part of the conversation, but I think you have to, again, you're asking for access on their property. Yeah. Right? So you have to present it in a way where you're going to protect them while protecting the access. Yeah. And it, it happens all the time. Yeah, I'm not saying that I would ever want to go out and tackle that that bear, but just as you for someone with some experience and knowledge and what that takes in a place like Big Creek, like what would your point of view on that be? That's interesting. I mean, I've been lucky enough yeah. to to work at Big Creek. Yeah. It's like I can park at the trailhead. Yep, and I can get into the trail so easily. We can do the work so easily. It's not like it's some backcountry, nine hundred foot elevation, rocky terrain that we need to get equipment mm-hmm. up to do work. Like I'm spoiled. Like it's very efficient and easy to get in there and do the work. Mm-hmm. These other trails that you're talking about, or like Pisgah or any of those, like think about just going out there to clear a drain. Like that is such an endeavor, mm-hmm. uh, and to get the landowner on on board with you going that far into their terrain to do that work you know the further you go out the more risk you get yeah. right so you have to be able to present that safety factor and that that resume so mm-hmm. to speak that you can go out there and do that in a safe manner like that there's just a lot of layers to making that work and making that function as a relationship where they feel like you've got their best interest in mind because yeah. again and i'm on a podcast i'm going to keep saying this it's their land yeah Right. Or it's the taxpayer's land. Just because you're a rider who pays taxes there doesn't necessarily mean it's yours. Right. You have to look at the greater good and the greater use. Have you considered putting a disc golf course in? (laughs) (laughs) Have you, though? We have have not. Um, Not to say we wouldn't be open to the idea. It'd probably be pretty hard. You'd have to do the permitting, though, because I'm no expert in that. (laughs) Drew and I just played a pretty good course. Over in Alpharetta, Alpharetta, Will's Park, Will's Park. Yep, that's, that's uh, not your park. Is just yeah, Will's. Wow. Not possessive. It's just Will's. So interesting, you bring that park up. My wife is on the board for the nonprofit or the foundation that is helping to fund the renovation of that park. Really? Yeah. So my wife and I are both very embedded in our communities in this this nonprofit effort. That's awesome. But again, they're raising money to enhance that park. Um, is that water park a part of theirs or is that separate? That's the city of Alpharetta pool. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's a cool spot. They just did a big renovation to that a few years ago. My daughter loves going there. Mm. Yeah. She does her summer camp at Will's park. I used to live within walking distance of that place. Oh yeah. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. looks like they had some equestrian, equestrian stuff going on too. That's the Will's park equestrian center is a whole nother massive fundraising effort right now but it so this is really ironic that you bring this up um and when i was driving over over here for this tonight i was thinking like what am i going to say what's the powerful words try to you know encourage people to to get involved and contribute you can give more to your community than i think you give yourself credit for just across the board everybody can you have more time than you realize to contribute something to go help on a trail build to go help on a fundraiser, to take a board position in an organization, whether it's mountain biking, equestrian, trail running, fishing, whatever, you can do more. You can contribute. And and since I've been with Rambo now on the board for three quick sixes, 
um, it's amazing just what can happen in such a short period of time. Like we've ramped up, like our board has grown, our board has gotten more diverse. Our ridership is through the roof right now. Like we're almost at 500 members. We've gained like 90 members in a week because of the quick six pre-registration. Yeah. So like you can take some little actions to contribute to your community to have a huge impact. And the Wills Park Question Center is one of those where that, that user group has kind of consolidated their efforts to fundraise and improve their parks. You can do that with trails across the country. That does bring the point. So is your position, you don't have to tell us how many millions, but is your position a paid position, even though it's like a nonprofit, just for your time? Because you obviously do a lot. The Rambo board is fully volunteer-based. Fully volunteer-based. Yeah. Are yeah. all of them like that? No. Okay. No. There are there are multiple organizations that have managed to um, set themselves up in a way with grant money or donors or whatnot where they can pay staff to do this full time. Mm -hmm. They have enough trails to validate that mm -hmm. and they have enough members to validate that. And that's a threshold that a lot of chapters kind of teeter on. Like, do we want to deal with payroll and staff or mm -hmm. do we want to just stay on the volunteer base? Um, but yeah, there, there are trail organizations that operate both yeah. ways. Basically you, you bring a lot of experience from your career into that you're that role, which helps a lot in every way. Um, but yeah, yeah. our, but it's just it's just different, and I guess some people, yeah, I, I can see in Colorado, Utah, some of those bigger networks and stuff. Like maybe there's a lot more money in it, and a lot more people getting paid. But you never know. But yeah, honestly, it could just be they could still be making money, and all that money just goes into trail development, and they still are working as a, a nonprofit, non-paid like volunteers. And yeah, I mean, our stuff. board, we've got somebody that works in the movie industry. We've got a doctor that works in an ICU. I practice architecture. We've got some uh, marketing and kind of digital media gurus. We've got a cleaning products salesman. Uh, we've got a pilot for Delta. We've got a, um, some industrial engineers. Like it's such a mixed bag of yeah. their professional life folding in, and they all add value from their own experiences to mm -hmm. the to the equation. So, um, yeah, the nonprofit just like allows you to open the door if you want to come contribute if you got some experience doing something cool come on in contribute what you can and you'll you'd be amazed what what the impacts are and I, I guess that's two points contributing what you can and that was one of my things it blows my mind so 500 writers is probably is really good for y'all and that's even if you look at some of what the reported numbers for other sorbic groups and stuff like that but like how many followers do you have on your facebook social page oh don't ask me questions like that well, it's what blows my mind, right? Because I think Sorba Woodstock. You a maybe. numbers guy? No, I mean, kind of, but it just in terms of things like this. So, like, Sorba Woodstock, say if they match your numbers and they had 500 people that were signed up for their chapter for their donations and everything, they have 5,000 plus people on their Sorba Woodstock social group. And that, that, and new a lot of those people are active commenting when are the trails open and what's going on and is, using the trails constantly using the trails right. constantly but then you look at how many like actually people are donating on a yearly basis and you're like that's the struggle that, that massive gap of that's people that are gap. active that use it regularly but do not donate and then how do you like kind of grasp them which is a great time for you to plug where you would donate to rambo but like this is a bigger conversation of riders that use the trails versus who you can actually acquire to 
donate and provide funds and efforts and volunteer hours and stuff to the trails. Yeah. So most chapters, including Rambo on their websites, will have a PayPal link or a donate here or a join here tab. And we try to make it as easy as we can to join. Um, but you're right. There is a huge gap between users to, to members or users to contributors. And that's a cultural challenge. Some people think, Oh, this is a city park. I pay my city taxes. I shouldn't pay a trail organization to pay for trails on a city park. Doesn't the city do that? No, they do not. The Army Corps does not maintain Blankets Creek. They do not go cut a tree that's down across the trail or, you know, um, Sorba, West Georgia or MTB Atlanta at, at Alatoona. Same thing. The city's not coming out there to do trail maintenance. The trail organization is. And that takes dollars to cover the insurance of the organization, to, to stock the tools, bring in the material, all of those things, right? So that that membership dollar, the donation, again, the aggregate builds that bank account to protect the access. It's all about protecting the access and maintaining it in a way where you're not letting the erosion just ruin the trail and ruin the owner's land, right? So if I think, I don't know the true numbers, but if I had to guess, like even just your numbers, imagine, so if, we get 200,000 trips a year at Big Creek and we have 500 members. Do the math, right? Like, wouldn't you think the users would, would be much more appropriate to the numbers? Even if we could get it to 15% or 20%, it may even be at 3% right now. I don't know. But could you imagine the swing in the quality of trails we would get if the funding was more there? I mean, it would be huge, yeah. It's just because if you could, if you could get close to half of that user base donating, like that's a massive uptake in what you have, like resource wise, available for you and everything. Yeah, it'd be incredible. The question comes in: It's what y'all probably always look at is, is and it, there's no direct answer. It's almost like trial and error. But it's like, how do you close that gap? Like, what are the, how do you get people more involved? And there's not an answer to that question, but like finding solutions to make it even easier to to donate and. I don't know. There's like how closing that gap more and more, but it's, it seems like almost like an impossible task a little bit. It, it feels that way at times, but I think we've done a good job. Like the skills kitchen was one of those where it's like, we want to thank and encourage and entertain our other side of the park users that we really haven't touched in the past 10 years. Right. We built the pump tracks. I don't know how many years ago. And then after that, it was like, everything just kind of went stagnant and it was like, okay, we need to take care of these, this side of our, of our membership, this side of our trail users. So I think you've got to go back and forth and make sure you're, you're bringing everybody into the fold. Um, but some people just don't see a value, right? You'll never, you'll never get them on your side. But I think if you can give the, the things that the people want across all riding spectrums, your membership will grow. And I think we're a testament to that. Now the quick six, that is like an anomaly. I, I, it's a six minute race. Less than six miles, right? But we have like 30-some sponsors. We sell out in a day. Like we raise a bunch of money for the trails yet, but the but the hype for this event is such a cool local trail race. Like it still blows my mind. We talk about it on the board all the time. It's like my, we just, we, we love our trails, but this is like mind-blowing. And this year, especially to see the, since last year was the first year we did the pre-registration for members, once again, validating the membership, right? The early access last year, we sold 80 race tickets in the first day, uh, before it went 
to open the general public. This, this time we sold 132 in the first day. So, and our membership grew like a hundred and something in over a week just to get access to that pre-registration. So that's a big engagement factor. So it's little huge. things like that. I know like store of Woodstock would give out socks with your purchase or something like that, but just little things like that actually makes the membership that much. Yeah. More but that valuable. membership might really like socks. Yeah. That's great too, yeah. <laughs> I would assume too, though, on memberships, there's, there's gotta be some significant, definitely not majority but percentage of the rider base of that 200,000 that is either they're visiting or is so new to the sport or just in la la land that they don't even know that rambo exists really no you can put up all the signs in the world and and they won't they won't they won't make the connection yeah and that's where that that presence needs needs to be there yeah it sounds like you need to stand out there with an ipad Look at them and show them the iPad and be like, "Could you answer a few questions for me?" With just my like screen. park ranger uniform on. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. just tip the tip Rambo. <laughs> Most trails have a tip jar um, where you can throw some cash in there. Rambo's got one. Storbo Woodstock's got one. Um, but yeah, I mean those little things definitely. But that's kind of an anonymous gift. I prefer to have a relationship with our users at our events and kind of bring them into the social fold and entertain them and have a good time with the trails. That, that's just my, my strategy. Well, I was talking to Josh and I think we need to be better about social events as well, since we're so far out there, but maybe we can do a collaborative like Kate city night or something like that. So, cause I um, think cause we're far out there and I'd, I would love to have like a brewery night or something like that in Roswell, Marietta, something that's closer to our locals where they don't have to, you could do it on a Wednesday or Thursday night. They don't have to drive all the way up to the park, and you still get to like interact with everyone, show face, and stuff. I'm like working that. with Gate City right now on an event at the brewery for a special MTB movie night of a special release film, uh, yet to be announced. Mm. So that'll be well, that, reach out that's to in the works. Reach out to Josh. Yeah, I'm sure JP can can team up on that. Yeah, yeah. they're one of our sponsors. So yeah, yeah. just a live like... podcast night. <laughs> I there actually, we go. I thought about that once where we could go to the brewery, do a live podcast, and have like a social night and something. But. Can we have a t-shirt cannon? <laughs> God, I was in the brewery just the launching brewery? at people's yeah. faces. There's so many things like that. It would be awesome if Josh would buy us a t-shirt cannon. We could stand down in the shuttle drop and just blast people <laughs> with t-shirts. We need like a Jared's Place mascot of some kind. Jason would love that. But no, but this, but growing the social aspect is a big part. Like growing the off the bike thing is part of growing the on the bike donations and stuff like that too so getting people involved like always having something where like you're not just there riding kc it's like now you're gonna go hang out with all those people that provide the trails to me at the brewery get to know them like it's the aggregate i know i keep saying that but again it's all those little moments that stitch that community together and make it stronger just continuously building and everything well there there's has to be like a path you can't just i mean we probably could step in and apply for vice president position and maybe, you know, take you for a run on that or something, but normal. Go. I'm game. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I think my army of followers at big Creek would, would back me up. <laughs> That's just a joke. But, uh, but if someone like there's obviously volunteer hours, but like someone younger, that that was their longer term goal. You know, what, what type of processes or guidelines would you give them to work towards, you know, something like that in the future? Like, Obviously, volunteer hours, but if someone wanted to get more involved, what would be your starting point, or how would you guide them through the process? Just show up to a meeting. 
most chapters post their chapter meetings or their board meetings to say, I want to come be a fly in the wall and listen in and, and see, see how it happens. Um, and then contribute just, like I said, people can contribute more than they take. Like those, that gives themselves credit those y'all's board meetings are just open meetings and everything like that. Most or? chapters have to be. Yeah. Okay. We, we publish it and you can join and listen in. You could be completely quiet the whole time, or you can try to contribute something and, and step up to a position if you feel good. And, most like in our board, most people come in in one position and they kind of learn how the board operates and what the chapter needs. And then they realize, oh, I might be better as secretary or I might be better as marketing director or social media coordinator or trail director. Um, and you can kind of go back and forth and find your footing and again, just contribute something. And there are there still more outside of positions, low level ways of, above volunteer hours of trail building but below like a board position or you could still be able to like assistance and everything just like i think a lot of people like you said don't know how much they could help or where they could help so just like getting the knowledge on all the different ways you could help out there and stuff like that's that. that's going to be different organization to organization so i'll just speak for rambo but we have built you you can our bylaws allow us to deputize anybody so you can have an assistant marketing director right it's not a voting position but you're in the conversation right you're part of all the communications and the planning um and that kind of gives you that that contribution without being full board member or you could be a trail champion um that's kind of our eyes on the on the trails out there going out for quick repairs right all hand tool work the trail champions don't do any machine work but you're not there like you can't only go help on volunteer hours you can do that whenever you wanted to yeah yeah we'll we'll find an issue or kind of assign some tasks out on the trail and they go do it on their time um and you know, so there are all other ways to, and if your organization doesn't have that, you can implement those as a board. You can vote that into the bylaws, right? That's the freedom you have in your organization. So you can adjust that, that envelope of positions to, to kind of bring those people in. I mean, it really then just comes back to what you said is, is you can be way more involved than you know you can be. It's just about having the desire to go do it. And the confidence, right? Because I think confidence, everybody's like, yeah. I don't want to mess up the trail, so I'm just going to ride them and stay in the background right yeah um but again there's something you can offer whether it's full-time part-time like just show up for a trail day put in a couple hours or you can be full board like you can contribute something and and most people will find that 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 giving factor that giving back is a spark and they want to do it more and more and more and more like every year at the quick six we give out a volunteer of the year award and it's um we have a person that's going to get it this year. Super excited. He just started riding like a year ago and he's like addicted to trail volunteering. He shows up and he's packing berms after a storm or he's out there helping me in the skills area. Like he's just been an amazing volunteer. He's not a board member. He's a trail champion because now he wants to be one, but it's just that spark was lit and he loves working on trail and that's kind of therapeutic for him after work, go ride, do a little trail work. Like you've, kind of your heart is whole at that point, right? You've given back, you've contributed, and you get to see the fruits of your labor on your own rides. Um, so again, just contribute something. Yeah. Um, I have one more question on Sorba. Or, yeah, Sorba and how uh, all that stuff works, I guess. Even if, say me, I think I'm set up from when I was riding mostly, like I think my trail donations are, are put towards Sorba Woodstock right now. But with how all the Sorba stuff works, like, 
it still goes into a big pile. So like only a portion of mine goes to Sorba Woodstock and then some of it goes to the bigger pile of Sorba that can like distribute it out as necessary or does all of my donations go to the chapter I select? Most chapters, the donations will be 100% to the chapter. The membership dollars are split up to Sorba Maine, which takes care of all of our kind of umbrella policies Mm -hmm. and it folds in our IMBA infrastructure for member management, the um, expert voice program, all of the local software and all of that there is value to that Mm -hmm. infrastructure that's at the top end of the organization definitely like uh, the payment gateways everything all of that right Right. so um membership tracking and databases and crms and all of that right we need that infrastructure and that's what the membership dollars a percentage of that goes to Mm -hmm. and i think the chapters we we take home about 40 percent of that um so there's a little bit for imba that covers the infrastructure sorbo operations gets a chunk and then the chapters get the other but that tier, that three tier, without if you took one of those away, it wouldn't survive. Yeah, right? yeah. So, so then it's, it's even just donating the IMBA and Sorba, and if it's not even the Rambo associated directly, still helps because it still helps put the systems in place that y'all utilize. Obviously, it's even better if it's going directly to your chapter. But just donating to one of those levels in general still helps. So, yeah, the the dollars are are crucial for the chapter right to maintain the trails fund the events all of those things like it costs about ten thousand bucks to put on the quick six enduro every year right and um and then the rest of the money we make goes right back into the kitty to maintain trails like bringing you in for the slalom and typhoon work right that's membership dollars and event dollars that are funding that so that's that's crucial um but on on the membership side it's also important for us to have the big membership numbers because when we go to the landowners and we want to make an ask or we want to change a trail or we want to add a trail or we want to get a new trail at this other city park, right? You've got, you know, low numbers, 10, 20 members. Just, you don't have a lot of, of, of a business plan to present really. Well, you don't have a body that's going to get their attention. Yeah. If you come at them with 500 members, 600 members, 700 members, and here are the data that show where my members live and they happen to be, in that city council's district, right, they're going to pay attention. They're going to want to listen to what you have to say. So that's really what the membership validates is that negotiation with the landowners to, to keep the access, improve the access, add more access, yeah. right? So it's both, right? It's dollars and members, right? It's, it's dollars and then just, yeah, like support. If I had to choose, if somebody came up to me, hey, do you want the money or do you want the membership? I'm going to say membership. Because the money, I mean, the money's nice, but you can find sponsors. Money's probably slightly easier to find, especially in somewhere like Roswell with a good network of people. Probably slightly easier to find chunks of money for something like that versus finding big chunks of people that are going to up your membership exactly. numbers and everything exactly. like that. Like if we have a project, we can fundraise for that project pretty easily. And our, our, our supporters are very good at donating for a specific project. But the membership really validates the existence of the chapter to be that liaison between the riders and the, in the city. It's interesting. It's, a, it's a, like, this whole conversation is just like, there's no one side answer to everything. It's a, it's such a collaborative effort on a lot of different sides of things to make something like this, like actually happen, like a public park, like big Creek. Yeah. It's not and just then to like, keep here's, it alive. here's the path. It's like, yeah. here's everything you have to do to create a symbiotic relationship, to keep it moving forward. So, it's a lot more than what we have to deal with. Josh just points at some dirt and we move it around. 
And then Igor comes out there and shrouds the hell out of it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've uh, you mentioned it a lot. So Quick Six, give us your marketing spiel on Quick Six. I think most people know about it, but that's always a bad assumption because there's so many people that don't know about what's going on in the industry. So what's your marketing spiel on Quick Six? So the, the, the Quick Six Enduro is a six-stage Enduro at Big Creek Park, three stages on the cross-country trails that we try to make as Enduro-ish as possible. And then three stages in the free ride area, which are all downhill, um, more aggressive trails. And you go back and forth. So you do cross country, free ride, cross country, free ride, and go back and forth for six trails. Um, the first one, I think, happened in 2014, if I remember correctly. So I think this is the ninth year of the race. And every year, although we cap at about 200 because of parking, and we're working on that, um, the sponsorship grows and the and the the hype grows the spectator grows like last year was i'd never seen so many spectators in the free ride area for a quick six it yeah was, it was wild i was gonna uh, say that when you finish is the growth of it has also just been the support like the videos and pictures of people supporting last year were crazy and they're not just out there like oh that's nice they're out there going hard yeah. like cheering like all types of different stuff like heckling like they're going crazy out there yeah some guy was out there in a michael myers costume walking around creeping mm -hmm. everybody out like chainsaws without the chains on them yeah and it's nice that it's in halloween now because it kind of brings in that shenanigans to it that extra energy yeah, yeah. i think this year is going to be even more wild with the the kids bike shenanigans stage yeah stage seven that jared's place is sponsored you said you had how many people sign up for that already 25 so far let's hear let's hear the full numbers then what are so non-member has not released yet yeah like public sign up opens to the public on the 18th at 7 p.m and pre-registration is open right now for members we've sold about 135 there's bucks. only i mean that's again the benefit of being a member because when you go past that there's only going to be like 50 to 60 spots left it'll sell out in like four minutes yeah. yeah so last year when it went public it sold out in an hour and a half yeah so what do you say 18th at 7 p.m Get ready. Let me go quick. What do you got? You're going to have Tim like 60 on 60 spots left. You're going to have Tim on the computer hitting refresh, getting your ticket for you? I already got my ticket. Stuart was kind enough. <laughs> Sponsors get a little inside, uh, me, uh, inside uh, track. Yeah. Yeah. To that. yeah, that's but another so it, advantage to sponsorship. It's in, uh, in October? October 21st. Yeah. And Jared's place is a sponsor. Are they, yeah. We're sponsoring the Kids Bike Race? Yes, or? you are. Yeah. yeah. You know you're doing the timing for that one, too? Are we actually? Yeah. No, really? No. Yeah. Uh, so no. the way the way it's Josh work, is doing it, then he'll figure it out. The way it's going to work. So the enduro six stages will be done. Everyone will have turned in their chips and go nuts. Our timing vendor will be gathering everything to get ready for podiums. At that time, when everyone's standing around looking at the TV monitor doing nothing, that's when the kids' bike race is going to happen. We'll send you back into the trails to go race slalom. We'll line both sides of that trail with hecklers. And it will be a party in the woods at Big Creek like we've never seen before. I'm super stoked on it. Well, I mean, on our, kids' bikes, just <laughs> snapping cranks left and right. <laughs> our our timing's pretty accurate. We got it down to the, accurate to the minute. Um, so <laughs> shut, shut your mouth. Will. Yeah, we round up. You, you better get ready. It's going to be more accurate than the the actual timing. From start. People need to start dumpster diving and getting those eighteen Look, inch spikes. It's out. not going to be biased at all. You still have your gold plated. Oh whatever. yeah. Oh yeah. We got. I do. Too. That reminds me. I need to get some upgrades going. I need to get some. You need to grease the brakes and. Chris. Uh, yeah, Chris is on Amazon brakes. trying to find some upgraded shocks for his uh, his Walmart bike. The big thing though is the pedals because 
kids bike typically take a smaller pedal thread but you can get an adapter so having actual pedals i think that's going to be a big one Not some and then i might have to put out the... there with clip-ins oh <laughs> that's dangerous also if i can get rid of the um the coaster brake because the coaster brake coaster is brake's a problem yeah. so i had to take the chain off but on slalom the chain well no slalom might be pretty good Pushing. Well, we're also, hoping to get y'all to refresh that trail before the endurance yeah. too, so it'll be butter smooth. Yeah. Except for the the routes that we're going to leave, uh, it'll be it'll be spicy. I think it'll be a lot of fun. I think my strategy, which I didn't implement at Jared's at our kids' bike race at Ellen Hills, but I might have to take it on solemn is to pick the bike up and run. That might be that might be might be quick. an automatic DQ on that. Oh, I sent you that. Throw the red that, flag. <laughs> sent you that video of the girl riding the fake horse with that massive high jump. <laughs> this <laughs> this that, conversation just went sideways. You haven't what? seen those videos. What? So there's a fake horse riding competitions. They ride the broomsticks with a horse head on it, and they ride around. They like run around what would be like it's you know, it's a it's a real sport, Blair, and it's called hobby horsing. Hobby horsing. You know. So imagine. So are you going to put a hobby horse on your kid's bike and go ride slalom now? (laughs) Well, my other idea for our race is I could draw a picture of a bike on a piece of paper and it's technically its wheels are smaller than 18 inches. So then I can just run with that piece of paper. So I want to clarify a couple of things here because we've had people ask us like it, whatever you bring, it has to be a bike. It can't like we, a guy called me. He was like, Hey, can I bring my dirt scooter out? And I was like, Hmm. In my head, I'm like That's chewing on that for a minute. Yeah. I was like, I didn't think about that. But no, it's got to have pedals. Yeah. So like, even if you brought a hobby horse, it would need to have pedals. So if, <laughs> Your feet have you, to go on those your pedals. Your feet have to go on to pedals. Right? <laughs> so whatever paper bicycle you're thinking of making, as long as you put pedals on it, you can ride it. Well, I hear we're going to tape some pedals to the bottom of our feet and then ride the hobby horse down. Mm. That would be really bad on the ankles. <laughs> <laughs> Running with pedals. Oh man. I think I think it's gotta be like you gotta have some 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 bike check going on. What do they call it? Um maybe just bike check. Like at GNCC, you gotta take your bike through Do we need to have tech, like basically. a tech, yeah, yeah. Tech inspection. You gotta have tech inspection we on We need to have bike. like a crankwork style bike check like Media no, thing just like tech inspection, make sure it, it works and it's we'll actual. We'll, we just went through training on to do the proper M method for bike inspections and everything. <laughs> when are you going to be checking torque specs on a bolt check on a kid's bike? <laughs> no, just making sure no one's got <laughs> pedals taped to their feet and they're running with a hobby horse. <laughs> I mean, I, I kind of would love to see it at this point, so running down the it's gonna be hilarious it's gonna be it's gonna be a wild ride i'm looking forward to that one that'll that'll be fun and it is a fun end of thing like yeah killing time while people are just like standing waiting for race results and stuff just like have some shenanigans going on yeah so we'll have the shenanigan stage and then we'll go into raffle and the podium um which should be pretty good this year our sponsors are stepping it up with the goodies as they always do yeah is Squirrely Dave is so that excludes Squirrely Dave because he's got to work on timing. Sounds That's like, up to him. Sounds like the perfect event for Squirrely Dave. It does sound like the perfect event, race. Dave. I hope you're listening. But yeah, I'd love to see you on an 18 inch kids bike out there. <laughs> <laughs> you race. You're racing, aren't you? Josh yeah, is racing. I'm, yeah, yeah. Doing the e-bike and then uh, kids bike. Josh is racing too. Josh is racing too. Yeah. Uh, stages. So last year, I think it was stage one was just pedal marathon you think it's going to be that bad again this year yep 
Yep. We're Literally. yeah. The the cross country trails, at least stage one, there's not a whole lot we can do on that yeah. that stage. Like we try to put in what we can put in. Yeah. Stage three and five, those tend to move around each year and we try to add in some features and some spice. So those tend to be really good. Yeah, those will be fun. Yeah. And we 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 entertained like I said earlier, we we're off the record, putting in the jump line of the skills area into part of the stage, and then you would loop back out to finish your stage. But we decided, <laughs> we decided against that, or maybe like you do the skinny down the middle and then pedal back out. But we we decided against that. But I thought, we well, were- then you got to have a course marshal there counting up how many times their wheel goes off and for how long, and then get seconds added on to your time. Course marshals. Basis. Based on, what? like, if you don't ride the skinny, then it's time added on. Yeah. Obviously. Yeah, we got some we got some fun over there this year. Yeah. Um, one of our buddies, trail champion Nick Watkins, um, hell of a rider. He's been helping us um, do the work and get the trails ready. So we've got those mapped, and we've got some fun little add-ons this year that you'll see when we release right. the stages. I'm excited. Yeah. The one, the stage is probably always five that ends up going, like, Close to the road, whatever variation of that one tends to be good. Last year it was really good. Yeah, it's gonna be fun this year. Yeah, it th- does. Your fact on it does. It's it's it is so funny that it's a six minute enduro. That's what it is. It's, it's a quick six. Yeah, like no matter how many turns we add, <laughs> it's still like six minutes of racing. Yeah, but it's a it's a blast. I mean, I race all over the country with the Vojek team and and you know whatever else we're doing. This race is one of the most fun events I go to. Yeah, I run it. So I'm a little biased, but it's a it's a freaking blast. Of of all the races I've ever been to, the Quick 6 is the most fun by a long shot, whether you're riding or racing or spectating. I think it's cuz it's so compact. It's That's... so compact for a spectator, it makes it really easy to get action all day long. Yeah. And as a rider, you you're not stressing about it like, oh, I've got 3 10-minute stages at Windrock like I'm fucking panicking the whole time i'm gonna die it's like chill six minutes go as fast as you can and then you're done and you can go heckle yeah the the closeness does help the one being close to the city two being close to the parking lot and all the trails and then like no yeah no one our things when you're hikers you have to hike all over the place to try to watch different parts of the trail there you can watch all six stages with very minimal hiking yeah you can just move between them so easily so easy to spectate which is a rarity for a lot of races and then you also are not having to drive an hour and a half to two hours just to spectate also right and get a a cabin and a camper and Mm -hmm. all that like yeah yeah it's it's the local trail yeah you literally just drive out there spectate go grab a beer go home but i say it's a local trail but there are a lot of people that come from out of state to to race this event yeah chattanooga is a huge user group and for big creek and florida comes up Mm-hmm. Alabama comes over, like we get some friends from North Carolina that come stay with us and they'll ride that weekend. And everyone looks forward to this race like it's Christmas or something. Like it's it's such an anomaly of a little event. We do so. We have a obviously have a very large Florida base, and you will always get them. Big Creek's one of those destinations. They'll come and they'll ride Jared's place for like Thursday, Friday, Friday, Saturday, and then they'll go to Big Creek like Sunday on their way out. So it's always they're like, yeah, we're gonna go to Big Creek. We've heard it's awesome. So it's like. They'll come hit Jared's place and then go to Big Creek on the way out, or they'll hit Bed Creek on the way in and then like make it as a stop on the way to like the Jared's place and everything. But I've I've heard from people from Florida that they were coming up to go to Big Creek and Blankets and they heard about us 
It's always and then been they like came that. up to us like we weren't even the destination. Like you guys were the destination, Big which Creek, is crazy. Big Creek and Blanket and were destinations for people from Florida, especially they, on their they way still are. on their yeah. way to they still are for or sure. other parks yeah. and stuff like yeah. that. But yeah, they still are, which is funny. Like they're not bad trails. I love them, but it's, we've ridden them for so long. We're always like, why would you drive eight hours to ride this trail network? But it's because it's way better than what they have available mm-hmm. to them. And but it's don't, just, it's don't, all perspective on it. And yeah, but don't sleep on those Florida trails. Oh, no. Have you been down to ride any of those? We have yet? a lot of good riders that come from Florida. There are good trails in Florida. There, We always talk about it. The biggest struggle on people that come from Florida is the continuation of speed. So they have a lot of people that are good at jumps or good like feature riders and stuff. But as soon as they get onto something like senior discount where speed just keeps building, they get thrown off because they're used to like, Big feature, GL, go Short back up. Technical, yeah, yeah, low, technical. Yeah, low speed tech, yeah. A lot of good riders come from Florida. That's just what, that seems to what get most of them when they come back on a jump line herd. They're like, yeah, it just keeps getting faster and faster and faster. They're used to up, down, up, down, up, down. Yeah. Last weekend I was out at Jared's place and I managed to get on to Kids Eat Free. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what the hell? Where, <laughs> where am I? And that was the first time I ever seen any of that. I like made a wrong, I made a left when I usually make a right. Yeah, and all of a sudden I'm on these. We're working on our signage. We get <laughs> that was confusing a lot of people right now. But I was surprised, and it caught me like, oh, like I'm in something completely new now, mm-hmm. out of just one little turn, mm-hmm. right? Well, we're at an hour forty five ish. Are you kidding me? Oh, yeah. oh my well, god, that might be our, that's our record. It is. Will's got to get go, get home to his mom. She's been calling, so I go get some dinner. <laughs> um. Couple wrap up questions. Favorite trail at Big Creek? Ooh, that's a good one. That's a good one. Um, I like Lunch Line. It's yeah. not the craziest one, but I just love the top to bottom Lunch Line. I don't know why. I'd probably say Lunch to Lower Lunch, the the rock garden that nobody rides anymore yeah, that we use in the Enduro. Yeah, that's so fun. That's that's that's. What's your line into that rock garden? Are I'll you going left at you. the beginning, or I are you will never tell yeah. you? Because that's the l- lower Lunch Line. There's like eight different options now. and they will all be accessible for the races here it's going to be a much more pick your line i like that it's dangerous yeah like we're that. leaving it open i was out there on monday and you you told me that so i was playing around with a couple lines yeah we we're we're gonna let you kind of find your way in a couple spots that we usually tape off this year and let you uh have a little more rider choice that's gonna be fun even that's on typhoon cool. we've left the ride around for the the creek gap that we just built i like that because that oh that might be fast I don't know. Um, I was riding out there a while ago with Joshua Schaefer from the Darnomies. He's got another great podcast. But I was riding um, uh, Big Creek with him, and we were doing Lunch Line. And there's that one, like, you can kind of go up and then come down into it and everything. I hit that, and he was, like, riding behind me. He's like, what the hell? And I was like, what? He's like, sniper line. He's like, I've ridden out here for years, and I've never seen that. But, like, that's what's interesting about Big Creek is, like, there's so many side cuts where if you don't pay attention or don't ride with someone that knows them, like, they're not super obvious or, like, you just have to open your eyes a little bit. But he's like, been riding here for years and never seen that line. I was like, dude, they're all over the place. And and some of those we intentionally keep covered up because we want to have them for the Enduro. Yeah. Protect them for that. But. Then if you know, you know, and you'll ride it anyway. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it'll be interesting to see what lines people take this year, especially in that knuckle. Well, you're going to have yeah. the core group of people that just know the line. And then you're going to have that like smaller percentage of people that know like alts and extra lines and stuff like and that. And then you're going to have Charlie that like bunny hops over the whole thing and ends up like Probably 10 seconds. Jump from, from one section <laughs> to the next over the tape. Yeah. 
as, as he's gonna ride it basically i ride like local pro jump the bridge and land at the bottom uh-huh yeah yeah you catch, yeah. catch a little backside on like one inch of rock and you're good <laughs> yeah no favorite thing. trail at jared's place oh man ladybug i think me too yeah. right now really it used I used to think, be pre-roll so. for you. You just switched it up. Pre-roll used to be your favorite out of this. Well, now two. that I have the e-bike, I've been riding a lot more top lap. Yeah, that's that's the move. Ladybug the is move. is the best bang for your buck. Yeah, I like that hand cut character up there. Yeah, kind of riding on a slate shelf. That's that's pretty cool. I like those in the yeah. technical turns. Like pre-roll is like fast and good build turns, but like Ladybug has turns that you have to freaking work. Like you can't just like drop into a catch berm and rip out. You have to plan it a little. Oh, bit. Accuracy matters on that trail. Oh it, yeah, it bucked me yeah. last time I rode it though. Yeah, I've gone off some. There's a couple of sections where the bench cut gets real skinny. And that I've front tire wobbles a little bit. Yeah, it's it's, it's gone. You ain't you ain't bringing it back. No. Outside of those two parks, favorite trail in Georgia. One that doesn't exist. Good answer. Is it at Mine Pound? Mm-mm. Really doesn't exist. It's doesn't just a exist. You have. It's off the radar. Keep it that way. That's how most of mine are. Yeah. Out of all the bikes you ride, what's your favorite bike? Ooh, that's a good question. See, e-bikes hard because it could be like, yeah, I like the e-bike part of it, but I like all of my components and other setup on my other bike. So I'm riding a propane Spindrift right now, and I got it basically to ride park. And that thing has been has been a blast. You like it? Yeah. It's been it's been a good bike for especially Jerry's place. Like I don't need a downhill bike and no. I want the agility of a trail bike, but I want the travel. I'm not a small dude. Yeah. So I like having appropriate suspension. Uh that bike's been been a lot of fun. Yeah. But I don't know, e bike flaps at Jared's at the top, like mm. It's it, kind of special. Yeah, it's, it's hard to beat. That. I feel like a dirtbag bringing an e-bike to a bike park, oh, but it it's, it's it works and it's so fun. You get so many more laps. Yeah, we're a we're a weird in between of a downhill and an e-bike park. Like, I mean, we we kind of an in between of Kanduga and Windrock, right? Like if that. Yeah, exactly my point. Like you can have just as much fun on any bike, but the e-bike just makes it that much. But an e-bike at Windrock to go right up Not to the top fine. and do the enduro trails from the top, like that's that's a good day at the park for sure. Yeah. Country favorite trail in the country. Got one. Country. Excluding uh, Georgia, then. I mean, whole enchiladas probably up there. Yeah. Um, snowshoes got a couple ones that I cherish. Yeah. Snowshoes so good. Snowshoes great. Snowshoe's great. Um, Whole Angelo is probably the best trail I've ridden because it's such a unique experience from top to bottom. It is. Yeah. I what's blew your, out my what's re- your favorite section of the Whole Enchilada? Not the part that I blew out my rear shock last time I was there, <laughs> <laughs> which was like a mile and a half from the bottom. Oh. And I had to walk out. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It's the Cocopelli section, that really fast double track, like just wide open. So much fun. Bombing it. You know, yeah. I don't know. It's there's so many thresholds on the trail where you're like you go through so many ecosystems, mm-hmm. like it's hard to kind of break those up. I love riding in the Aspens. Uh, the buddies and I are going out to Colorado next month for some backcountry stuff, and I'm looking forward to that. But nice. so I don't know. It's, it's a tough question to answer. 
a lot of trails. A lot of trails. It feels like 20 different trails when you ride that. It does. That's how like Dr. Park in Colorado was. Like it was five or six different. It was such a long trail, but going at the very top of the mountain and then winding all the way down, like the transition and changes of it was crazy. Yeah, yeah, that's on the itinerary of our trip for sure. Dr. Park. Yeah, Yeah. we're going to be on that south side, Gunnison, Poncha Springs, Crested Butte. A lot of really good stuff there. That's where I like basically ended my road trip was like, uh, well, no, kind of farthest west was Pacific Northwest, then came back through Crested Butte, met up with some people, rode, and then like headed home from there. And like, we had like a really nice day in Crested Butte, and then the next night it snowed, and it was like went from like beautiful and warm to snowy and cold, and then it melted. And we had like one more day of riding. And I was like, that's Colorado like, weather for you, right yeah. there. Yeah. It was it was a cool experience of being able to like see that transition and then back and forth, like right on the that season cut almost, like close here. Well, that's all I got. You got any more special questions? No, sure. Got anything you want to leave us with? If you're not racing the quick six, come spectate, come volunteer, help us with parking and course marshalling for a couple hours out of your day, and then uh, bring your costume and a noisemaker, and uh, let's have some uh, let's have some fun. You got any rules on chainsaws? No chain. No chain, but we can bring chainsaws. Cool. How about leaf blowers? <laughs> no no chain. Make sure you change the oil on it before you bring it out. Oh, yeah, okay, don't smoke out there. the trails, please. Yeah. Leaf blower adds in like an extra dimension because you can actually mess with them a little bit on too. On the kids' bike race, you might be able to blow someone over. Yeah, I was going to say, or you can fart into the blower. I got it. <laughs> You're going to make people pass out on the trails. So. <laughs> I I'm I don't know if I want to answer that one. <laughs> I think, I think a leaf blower is probably a terrible spectator yeah. item. Yeah. <laughs> Besides the fact also you're gonna be blowing like dust. If it's dirt. dusty, yeah, that would get dangerous. <laughs> yeah, I've seen um a lot of liquids being thrown on racers on other races and stuff. So it'll be interesting to see who brings what to this one. Were you at the TTC the year where the Rowdy Town guys had Roman candles? I was there. Yeah. That was, was hilarious. It. it was one of the most exciting end of a stage that i think i've ever witnessed in my life yeah that was wild just absurdly dangerous but also (laughs) so much fun i did forget one of the things we can leave with is stewie is uh instagram famous he was in the background of aaron gwynn's video yeah i was the blind guy that he almost ran into when he just stood there i have not seen this you haven't seen it no no stewie's just standing there like (laughs) i mean like Aaron's coming hot into that turn, sked, like skids it out, and Stewie's just standing there, like not phased at all. Yeah, Blake bails, right? <laughs> Aaron Gwynn comes sliding in like he's going to take out my my ankles, and I'm standing there with my glasses on. I didn't even flinch. I literally looked like a blind man. And Aaron, Aaron Gwynn posted after. He was like, big ups to this guy for just you know standing there. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> I saw that. I was like, That's Stewie. And then I saw it get reposted and everything like that. I was like, oh, shit, that's funny. Yeah, that was a good day at the park. That sure. was at Ride Rock Creek, right? Or yeah. Windrock. Yeah, Ride it was, Rock Ra- it was yeah, Rock Creek, yeah. yeah. Nationals this year? No, it was the Downhill Southeast race. Oh, okay. Yeah, I remember yeah. He, he was hurt for Nationals. Sorry. Or hurt you, at Nationals. We are in the Eric Gwynn friend group. I'm not. Keep up with him. I just, I just saw a game. But it was either at, it was at one of those races before he even went over. No, he went overseas and blew his shoulder out. Won the first it, race It was overseas. before that. Um, yeah yeah it was the it was the race that ace ever met broke the two minute mark on the track yeah and they were like well crap now we got to make the track longer for <laughs> for national champs yep <laughs> well cool 
Go visit Rambo, donate, come out to the Quick Six, support any of your local trails. It doesn't have to be Rambo. If you ride your local trails, find a way to support, find a way to volunteer. Contribute something. Something. Anything. Maybe not anything. Some people could take that wrong. <laughs> you got to narrow the options a yeah. little bit. Contribute yeah. something helpful to your local trails. Not just anything. That's okay, it. yeah. Okay, you. Okay, you? Okay, yeah. Thank you.